Hey guys, welcome back. Before we get into the show, I got the sponsorships and announcements to kind of uh, let you know what's going on. First up, we have Avalanche. Avalanche is a wonderful sponsor of the show. Really happy to have them. Um, I'm really excited for the platform. It's now hit mainnet. It's live and ready for developers to build without limits. Avalanche is a highly scalable open source platform for launching decentralized financial applications. It's the smart contracts platform that confirms transactions in under one second, supports the entirety of the Ethereum development toolkit, and enables millions of independent validators to participate in full block producers, as full block producers. It's quickly gaining momentum with more and more developers exploring the platform every day and a large, vibrant community of supporters and users ready for a new era of cryptocurrencies, blockchains, and decentralized applications. In my personal opinion, it is a novel approach to doing blockchain and it's a hell of a consensus algorithm. So, build on Avalanche, build without limits, learn more at avalabs.org. That's avalabs.org. As for the Panvala community, uh, Gitcoin grant endeavor we went through over the past couple months, that's over. Um, and we're very happy with the results. So if you didn't know, you weren't listening, uh, we as Hashing It Out participated in Gitcoin, the, the last Gitcoin grants around, um, particularly as a what's called a Panvala League, which meaning that um, if you contributed to our grant on Gitcoin with Pan, you got additional matching, matching uh, not only from the Gitcoin grant um, platform, but also from the next distribution of Pan um, as it gets distributed over a certain period of time. And so based on the number of people who donated with Pan and the amount they donated with and some other mechanisms, which you can read into later if you'd like to, uh, we get a lot more matching based on the, the signaling that people give by no, donating to us with Pan. And to that end, we made around $600 with, with, uh, with, with funds who were donated directly to us from uh, a myriad of individuals. And I can't thank you enough for, for contributing to us. Uh, and then an additional $5,600 or $5,700 in today's PAN prices matched by, matched by the PANVALA distribution. Now, that's a tremendous amount of matching from a relatively small amount of, of donations, right? And that type of amplification of, of donations from signaling is what we, what we tried to do and we set out and I think we were successful. So thank you all for participating. Um, the next step is for us to figure out how to use this money and distribute it across the security and infrastructure ecosystem of Ethereum. Uh, we're going to be doing that by engaging the Ethereum security community and seeing what, how best to allocate these funds, which we'll update you with. So uh, more news on that later. We will be participating in uh, Panvala Gitcoin grants again. So be on the lookout for that news. But until then, on to the show. Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome to Hashing It Out a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. Welcome back to Action It Out. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Corey Petty. Today's co-host is Dean Eigenman. Say what's up, Dean. What's up, Dean? 
Nice. Now you know what Dean's voice sounds like. And today we have Augusto and Eric from Cartesi to join us to talk about um, I think a seemingly novel solution to uh, the blockchain space. Welcome, guys. Why don't you do the uh, initial introductions and kind of tell us where you came from and um, what you're doing? Sure. So let, let me talk a little bit about myself. Uh, I am uh, graduated uh, in engineering a long time ago. I've been working as a software engineer for more than 20 years. Different verticals, uh, you know, full stack and doing all sorts of things. Uh, had my own agency of software development more recently before Cartesi. And eventually I started to get very attracted by uh, initially cryptocurrency because I was playing with, uh, you know, as trying to, to invest for fun and see where these things went. Then I started to get more into the tech and I started to really appreciate the tech behind Bitcoin, Ethereum, and I, and I and I found this this uh, like revolutionary, and yeah, and uh, at, at about that time I was also looking for something new to do. I wanted to have my own uh, software business, develop something uh, more creative, and I was falling in love with blockchain, and that's where when Augusto uh, came in and uh, uh, he was developing these concepts uh, at his. Uh, research research institutes, which is IMPA. He's going to talk about it later. But uh, just trying to be short here, you know, uh, we we rapidly came up with a, with a company, and we got very excited about taking this project forward. Uh, the idea evolved a lot from the beginning. We will delve into that, but that's basically my uh, the summary of uh, who I am, where I come from. Uh, maybe I'll let Augusto say a little bit, a few words about himself. Yeah, thanks for having us. So I'm Augusto, I also graduated here in Brazil, uh, but I'm more of an academic profile. I did a PhD and became a researcher in mathematics in probability. But I've always been interested in computer science and I'm kind of a free software uh, radical <laughs> from the open source community. Mm -hmm. And when blockchain came, I said, okay, this is really a, a very important piece of this puzzle of, you know, how to make software more free, uh, people more in control of their digital lives. And this mixed with my research and started thinking about it. I'm, as a mathematician, I collaborate a lot with Sergey Popov who's uh, one of the founders of IOTA. So he was poking me all the time, like, oh, you should do some research project on blockchain. It's so interesting, it's so close to what you do. Uh, and that kept in my head that at some point I came up with an idea, okay, this is an idea that we should publish, I told Sergey. and said, no, no, you shouldn't publish it yet. You should uh, have a company that is able to implement that and also have something you, you can publish because you cannot publish just the idea in this in this field. You have to really have something working. And then I said, no, I have no experience in that. So I started looking for people who, who could do the engineering part. And that's where Diego came, who was one of my colleagues, and Eric uh, from the business part. So that's how we got to know each other. So what is... 
what is Cartesia? What does it what does it do? Why is it differentiated from other projects in the space? At, so, like, a, at like a high level, like like you know, like your your, your yeah, kind, yeah. you know quick pitch, yeah, and then we'll dive into details. Right, right. So high level is that we uh, we saw that this this deficiency uh, around scalability, particularly around scaling computation, right? Because if you want to if you want to see blockchains as a platform to run computation, which is probably uh, the objective of, of Ethereum and uh, and uh, and other blockchains that support smart contracts, uh, this platform for computation is quite precarious in, in, in different uh, dimensions, right? Uh, especially in different dimensions of scalability. Of course, there are many projects that are tackling scalability in different ways. We chose to tackle the problem of, of uh, how many instructions you can run per unit of time. So uh, basically scaling computation, that's where we started from. But what really differentiates us from other scaling solutions is the fact that we also saw that there was another deficiency that was often overlooked, uh, namely the ability for, for people to develop uh, smart contracts or DApp logic using mainstream software stacks or using OS resources, right? So if, you, if you're going to develop a, a, a DApp on Ethereum, you're going to use Solidity, for instance. You're going to have a language that's limiting. You don't have concepts like the file system or anything that an OS would give to you. So what if we could take, let's say, an OS like Linux and, and run it in a decentralized way? So that that's basically uh, our uh, most um, you know, unique uh, proposition here, that while we are a second layer that's scaling computation while preserving the, the security guarantees of the underlying blockchain, like Ethereum, we are also providing uh, uh, like a, a full OS where people can develop their DApp logic. And how do you do that? What's like, what's the like, how do you, how do you maintain the level one security while providing that scalability? Like it's, it's there seems to be a trade-off somewhere. Right. So, so basically uh, we are, uh, we move from a global consensus to a local consensus, right? So imagine that you have a DApp. If you're thinking about the, 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 a coin that's running on, on the blockchain, you need basically the consensus of everybody because everybody is involved in the ledger. Now, if I, let's say, let's take another radical example. If I want to develop a chess game on, on the blockchain and I'm playing chess with you, right? We are the two only people that are interested in that, in that match. Uh, uh, 10,000 people running full nodes, they're not re really caring much about what you're doing and who is winning that game. So in that case, when you have a local consensus, it's much cheaper to just have the people that are involved or that are interested in, in, the, in the computation or in the results of uh, whatever is happening there to validate uh, or to participate in whatever is going on for that DApp. So, um, so what we do is, is that, that you, you basically you allow, uh, the, the blockchain specifies computations that are basically uh, uh, Linux virtual machines, they, they have uh, a boot uh, file system, root file system drive, they have an input drive, they have a program that they're going to run, and they have an output drive. So this is basically specified on chain. Uh, we can explain that further later on, but these computation runs off chain on the, on the VM. And because the VM is, is fully deterministic, self-contained, 
and it also produces Merkle proofs of uh, contents of the states and the Merkle tree root hash of its entire state, we are, you are first able to uh, uh, make sure that all validating nodes get to the same state at the end of the computation. And if they happen to disagree, right, uh, then another validator can, can start a dispute and prove to the blockchain that the, the, the first validator was involved in a fraud or, or cheating in the result of the computation. So it's basically an op optimistic approach. Uh, validators, uh, uh, a claimer would, would claim a, a, a result for a computation. And if someone happens to disagree with that result, they can uh, unequivocally prove to the blockchain that their honest uh, solution is actually true and enforce that on the blockchain. Are you specifically tied to Ethereum or is this agnostic to the blockchain? Well, there's nothing in our spec that, that ties us to any specific blockchain. Uh, we basically need some blockchain that supports smart contracts. Uh, our first implementation was done on Ethereum, right? So we're primarily supporting Ethereum. Uh, we believe that's the most important blockchain for now. Uh, so our main focus is there. But with that said, we are also running already on a, another layer two, like Matic, that also supports Solidity Code. And we're also running on Binance Smart Chain, and we can also port to other blockchains later. Mm -hmm. So if I had to like rephrase that um, slightly, it's you have a deterministic VM that all parties involved in whatever application is being used run locally. Um, and then whatever end state that happens at the end of that VM gets gets submitted to the blockchain by some party involved or multiple parties involved. And then those who are those who care can check to make sure that this, their state matches the state that was submitted. And if not, there's some dispute resolution on chain. Correct. That's and how do those fraud proofs work? Um, how do you how do you prove that someone didn't do a computation right and that you did? So, so we, we, this, okay, go ahead. Yeah, this is an algorithm that actually exists since the 90s. It's called, uh, some people call it the verification game or interactive mm -hmm. verification. So two people, you know, this, all these machines are represented in the blockchain in a very compact way. It's just a hash, mm -hmm. a cryptographic hash. So the blockchain is not actually keeping in, in its storage all this huge state, you know, Linux uh, implementation or anything. It's just a single hash. And people just say how this hash evolved. So this is what can be disputed. And from this hash, you can also, you know, implement financial operations like, oh, if this is new hash, I have some tokens to withdraw. Great, I can withdraw this money. Uh, but the point of the dispute is like saying, no, this is not the hash. This is not what represents the machine after the computation. And if someone raises such a dispute, you can actually resolve it in a very short time on the blockchain. But it's an interactive protocol. So you asked what's the trade-off. The trade-off is that in case of disputes, you have some delay on finality. You're going to have to wait for you know, one party to insert a little bit of proof, the other part to insert a little bit of proof. And this can take up to you know, 10 steps. 
So it can delay. The, all these proofs are very short, so it's not a burden for the blockchain. Are those proofs uh, like layers of the Merkle tree, so they scale nicely with like complexity? Yeah, it's logarithmic on the okay. size of the machine and on the number of computation cycles. So even if you run a supercomputer on this thing, you can settle the dispute very fast on the blockchain. So is the goal of Cartesi to be a scaling solution or is it to provide uh, a system to be able to build more complex dApps or is it both? It's both. It's both. We, we, we want to, to have some, enable something like decentralized Linux servers that are well integrated with the, with the base layer, with the blockchain. Okay. Yeah, if you take uh, someone coming out of, you know, computer science school, they are essentially able to develop uh, a web application or a mobile phone application. I mean, they may have to Google a few things, but they, they have all the tools and it's very convenient. So they, they can turn their ideas into products reasonably easy. But on the blockchain space, it's, uh, you know, you almost require a, a new major just to, to get there. And this is one of the gaps that is very important for us to fill. Like, you should use the same stack you learned. Uh, you know, you, you liked Python during your uh, undergrads. Great, use Python. You like the JavaScript, so use JavaScript. We want to offer that same environment that people learn typically when developing on this, uh, to develop decentralized applications. And it's not only about uh, choosing the language you want to to use to code, but also you know you can use the stacks that you would have uh, on mainstream, right? You could take a library that does uh, zero knowledge uh, for Linux and, and then just cross compile to a RISC-5 virtual machine and, and, and build your code on top of that, for instance. So what this allows for ostensibly is to, under, is, is to have stronger confidence in the fact that those who are participating in any given application that they're using um, are running the same thing. What it doesn't quite give you, it seems, is the security of the thing you're running. So when you look at like uh, smart contracts on, on, on Ethereum 1 and Solidity and how that then comes down to bytecode, you're forcing everyone to write contracts in a very specific form that has been optimized, well, over time will be optimized for um, security and I guess potentially like minimize the like available data or computation such that people program in a certain way and you develop secure best practices to make sure the transfers are transfers to transfer and nothing else. And so like, it seems as though by introducing the enormous complexity of like just operating on Linux and, and people developing how they want, um, there's an introduction for a lot of potential security bugs. Although you can be strong, you can have strong confidence that no one's like doing something differently. So if there is a bug, everyone's, everyone uh, has the bug. Yeah, definitely programming on this will not be your everyday uh, Linux development. So what currently people do a lot in some areas of development in the world is what uh, Zuckerberg calls uh, move fast and break things, right? Mm -hmm. So just download all the libraries you need. Doesn't matter if they're buggy. You just have to get something out there for the public 
And if it's buggy, it's buggy. You're going to fix it later. That's not how this is going to work on Linux. But there are people <laughs> who work on Linux on very safe uh, uh, environments, right? There are people who develop, you know, uh, things that go to the uh, rover to Mars that run Linux, right? So, But this is a very different type of development. You're not downloading any library that you think is, you know, it, it just recently launched in you just find it npm install importing it so, yeah <laughs> npm should be out and what you what we give in return is okay first the libraries you're using you can select them for uh, with security in mind that's for sure but also the complexity of the operating system gives you layers of security as well right so to completely if you think solidity is almost like you're programming the in assembly it's very low level and it's very easy to you know give some pointer uh, to some right to someone to modify your memory in a weird way because it's directly changing the machine it's like if you're giving the the wires and the clippers to the developer so it's a lot of power but a lot of responsibility on a linux environment if there is a bug, maybe this bug can affect the user space, but not the root. Uh, so you see, every operating system has several layers of uh, security. If someone gets you in your browser, maybe they can spy on what you're doing on the browser, but they cannot spy your files, your files in the, your folders, right? Or if they can spy, spy those files, they cannot change how the operating system is because they have user access but not root access. So we operating system gives you layers of security that of course are computationally expensive to support, but that's also what we offer, the computational scalability. But it, these layers of security can uh, counter what you just mentioned. So give me, there's a few directions I kind of want to take this. Do you have something before I continue? I'll take your silence as a no. <laughs> All right. So uh, walk me through, like, as a developer, say I wanted to use Cartesi. What is the, like, kind of your optimal use case for me to to, to develop? Like, where what should I be using Cartesi for? And walk me through the process of, like, building an application and deploying it somewhere. So we wish to... Uh, so our current development is uh, very well explained in our tutorials. Uh, it's called Descartes, our API for developers to use. Um, what we really want is to have, our main objective in the end is to have a web to experience for developers. Almost to the point that if you did something for the centralized web, you could just port it to Cartesi and it works. That's of course a bit of a stretch, <laughs> but it's almost to that point. So the feeling would be like you do when you're developing something like a social media application, you have to write something for the server, a software for the server. That's what actually is gonna work, uh, be on the blockchain and another software for the uh, front end, for the person to see on the mobile phone or on the browser. So you have this dichotomy still, while the server is going to run 
on this Cartesian machine. And we're not yet to the point that you can just pretend we are not developing for blockchain and deploy to the blockchain. That's not what we offer yet, but that's our main objective. What we currently have requires you to still write some smart contracts. So if you want to use Cartesian now, you can make, do the majority of your logic on Linux, like the server and stuff, but you still have to write some wiring with smart contracts that we explain how to do. So you still need to know Solidity, but we plan with our next release to completely get rid of this uh, requirement. So you'll be able to write a kind of Apache server, you know, this typical server that people use for Facebook or Twitter that receives messages from like HTTP requests these are like packages from the internet, process them and sends them out. So this is your server. You do this logic the way you want with the libraries you want and you do your front end and they, they we're going to connect them for you. So this is our objective for the next release, but we're not there yet. Still need some smart contract development. So ju just to make a, a maybe try to make it a little bit more clear that we have two stages in the in the development of the cards, this the cards SDK uh, August was talking about. So the, the current version that we have, we can look at, at it as a, as a kind of a um, computational oracle, right? So think of any kind of heavy lifting, uh, computational heavy lifting that would be impossible to do on Ethereum. You could do most of your application on Ethereum that you would do normally, but whenever you have a very uh, computational intensive task, you can offload it to, to Cartesian, right? So that, that's what we do now. Um, and the next version, as we move forward to do a variation of rollups, then we're gonna, you know, go toward what August is saying. Like, we don't developers wouldn't even need to to touch uh, smart contracts to create a DApp on Cartesi. They could even settle payments or whatever uh, from the layer two itself. I'm assuming that. Um... All of this is run on some what you refer to as Cartesian machine, which requires some uh, developer resources, like hardware resources, for someone to be running these VMs that are attached to some blockchain that report to it. Uh, can you tell me about like kind of the network of people for running those machines? What kind of resources they need, and and like why they would choose to do so? Like who's who's running these and why? So the, there is no hardware requirement. You can run it on any laptop or even mobile phone, although it didn't port it to to a phone yet. It's a, it's just technically possible. We didn't do it, but currently you can run it on Linux, Apple, or Windows. You can run it on any laptop, and this virtual machine, who runs it for the consensus, is currently up for the developer of the D app to decide. So, for example, if you're doing a poker game, you can say, oh, Alice and Bob are playing poker. Alice and Bob will run their own nodes. Or, or I will look at the room of these five renowned companies that will run our game. And if any of them is honest, the truth will be enforced on the main chain. Or you can say, no, no, this is open. Everyone can, you know, do the computation. But it's for now up for the, the app developer to decide if it's 
a very local consensus, a quorum consensus, or a, an extremely open one that can lead, of course, to uh, more delays if you have a huge number of people attacking with disputes all the time. But they are solved in reasonably fast time. So, How do you prevent DOS vectors in the software? So like the way around it on Ethereum is to have gas, and at one point you run out of gas, and so you can't write these super complex uh, things that may take a machine forever to process. How do you guys prevent that in Cartesi? So it's the so the inputs and outputs, these are provided by the main chain. So there is no way to overload the machine with data because the data is provided by the main chain in the code data. In the cheapest possible way that the main chain can provide this data is call data. So it provides this data like this, so there's no way to to overflow the machine with data. But now, of course, what prevents this machine from entering a crazy loop and just consuming resources like crazy? Uh, this is for the, the app developer to prevent. So it's not like anyone can tell anyone else, please do this computation for me, like it is in the blockchain, right? You can create a smart contract and all of a sudden, all the nodes now have to run this smart contract for you because you you asked so. In uh, in our uh, solution, you create your machine and you tell your users, so this is my chess game, download and run it. And trust me, it's not going to enter a crazy loop. So you have to trust that the app developer that they are not introducing crazy loops into the, the system. But also there is a way to, to limit the number of microprocessor instructions that uh, the the emulator would run, right? So uh, that's something that the, the app developer can set. Yeah, we can also have a notion of guess, so to say. If we want to limit that, we can also limit that. Right. Which the what? number of cycles, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, it's almost actually a completely changed subject, but like, what's the interaction latency for two parties involved in some in some application is like, like if, I'm, if i'm seeing this appropriately uh i guess it depends on what they're doing but in order for people to interact with an application they have to do something and depending upon what they're doing it may or may not involve value transfer which they need to verify so i guess for some actions that require the blockchain for dis for, for dispute it would take a long time, but for most interactions of a, of a decentralized applications, they'd be the same as it would be for Web two. So they would. So in the first version, they would be the same as they are for the main chain. So if for you're all interacting for all the actions that don't require, say, withdrawals or confirmations. So if you're just changing the machine and interacting with the machine, you can do this. Uh, at the, in the same way as you do with a smart contract. But when you say, okay, now there is some money on, inside that machine, I, I want it. There's some method that belongs to me and I want to withdraw it. Now you have to wait for uh, the challenging period. You cannot withdraw it in the same transaction, like request and get the money right away. Because that would you know, be risky. If you could take a state that is not yet confirmed because the challenging period is not over, and just say, oh, in, in the current state of the machine, I have money, I want to withdraw it. That would be 
uh, a problem, right? So if you want to withdraw from it, take uh, ERC20 tokens, or if you want to take Ether out, you have to wait for the challenging period to be over. Then you can withdraw. Say, for instance, I'm building a social media application, right? I'm building a clone of Twitter. Uh, people have done this, but say you're doing the same thing, right? And you're doing it on Cartesi. Is it, does it mean that every time I click a like, I have to interact with the smart contract in some way, shape, or form? Or is that, can that stuff be handled by a part of the VM that doesn't necessarily need to be pushed or acknowledged by the, the smart contracts? There so, are two stages there, right? There is a first stage where we are uh, we're implementing rollups now. So the most basic implementation uh, would be that for for each interaction client software has with our system, they 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 place the the event on chain, right? So it would be subject to the same latency that would have on, on the first layer. But also we, we have the plan to have uh, aggregators. So that would be basically just like. If you think of ZK rollups or other rollups techniques that you could have someone aggregating lots of transactions and sending them all at once to, to call data, and then you can have better better uh, throughput. Okay, you said you're implementing rollups. You're looking more towards optimistic ones because they're relatively easy, especially in terms of providing more general ideas or, or, or like zero knowledge rollups. Because it seems as though since you're only pushing a hash based on the Merkle tree of the computation of the VM, it may be more reasonable to do something like zero knowledge rollups because the circuit won't be as big. Yeah, but for the disputes, you need, uh, you know, the, the the dispute is interactive mm -hmm. and ZK cannot handle interactive disputes, at least, okay, with the current uh, implementations we know. So for now, it's kind of an optimistic one. Mm -hmm. Uh, or maybe you can call it like interactive. Uh, is that something you have to marry yourself to at this point as you as you develop it? Is that like you need to make a decision now and you're kind of stuck with it? Or is it something that can kind of go fluidly depending upon how these bridges get built and, and what works? Yeah, we are, we are very modular in this sense. So we take the minimum decisions that we have to take for developing something. So if we have to change, for example, the the consensus protocol it's not a huge burden right i mean you have the machine it's very separate what the machine does to what the consensus does so if at some point it becomes we, we are now for example discussing the possibility of having um the last step of the the verification procedure be done in zero knowledge so this is something that if we decide it's doable we can implement reasonably fast but the whole uh a consensus algorithm in ZK is not possible yet with the current technology. So it would be overall more aligned with the idea of optimistic rollups in the sense that uh, we start by assuming people are telling the truth. And if someone happens to cheat, then someone has to present a, a fraud proof on chain, right? So, but this fraud proof is presented in this interactive game that August was explaining before. Is, it, is your is your interactive verification game similar to TrueBit, or is it the same as TrueBit? It's exactly the same, yeah. Okay. For those who don't know, um, we've done episodes with them, so go back and check it. We'll try and find it and put it in the description to kind of have a much more detailed explanation of what that interactive verification game is. How do, how do you get paid? 
why do people what like what's the incentivization like it's blockchain so there's all some type there's some type of token economics flowing or keeping people aligned with, with incentives in some way shape or form what is that in Cartesi? right so we have we have this token that uh, has um, a couple of uh, use cases uh, one of them is to is to be a, like a crypto fuel for the side chain that that we are implementing we didn't touch this topic here uh, yet but we are also implementing a side chain to you know to to scale in terms of data availability right so think of this side chain as a blockchain on top of of the the, the, the main chain and uh, block generators they are rewarded by ctsi and the and the users and the apps they need to pay ctsi to gain the right to insert data into this side chain. So this is one of the use cases. The other, the other one is that we are also um, creating infrastructure that runs um, the card nodes on behalf of users, because of course, not all users want to validate computation or go into the hassle of downloading stuff. We understand that most users of the apps would just trust some third party or trust the, that the uh, some nodes that are already validating, at least one of them is telling the truth and can enforce truth, uh, truthful results. So we're creating a kind of, a, let's say AWS or Infura for, for, for the card where, where people can uh, run, um, the apps can, can run their computation on these nodes that are provided by this infrastructure. And then this infrastructure is also portable across different organizations. So let's say if you if you are the, the app developer, you want to have at least, let's say four reputable organizations participating in the validation of your the app, you could choose a few that you like. And also, of course, you might open for the users themselves to just you know plug their own machines and, and validate. But you would start already with a few reputable organizations. And uh, these organizations would would charge for representing users and, and running computation for the apps by collecting a, a, a small fee in CTSI. You mentioned a data availability blockchain. Um, all rollups, like by definition, use F1 for a data availability layer. And a goal of kind of, or at least the current narrative is to um, use shards in F2 uh, once that phase hits to ex drastically expand the data availability layer for for these for these roll-up implementations. Does that negate your need for the like Cartesi data availability blockchain or is it something that you've thought about? So the, the way we see um, blockchain development now is uh, I like to make the analogy that it's like uh, you know a PC. If you look at computers uh, back when they filled the whole garage or in the university or in the army, they were very simple machines, although they were big. And people started experimenting with several different things. So oh, this special thing will make it faster for to download packages. This other thing will make it faster for running pipelines of constructions much faster or graphics now if you look at a computer or a mobile device they're actually very complex things that have very specialized hardware so a graphics card it's very good for this 
the CPU is very good for that. The modem is very good for this. And this is what we also expect in layer two solutions. So we have, you know, optimistic rollups doing one thing, CK rollups doing something else. And the same for data availability. We expect data availability to be very specialized in certain things. And we are specializing something that is not uh, currently in the radar of these sharding solutions in layer one, which is lots of data, big chunks of data that are garbage collected very fast and don't need to be kept by the nodes. So we want to have very large volume of very disposable data. This is something that is very hard to do in the shards uh, because every the history has to be kept and it's hard to incentivize deletion. You know, wow, this data can be deleted very fast and I want to pay little because of this. So this is what we're trying to, to do, do something very specialized in large blobs of disposable data and work of course in, in conjunction with, um, with the data availability that the first layer provides. So in the end, I believe that the developers will say, okay, pictures go to Cartesi sidechain because they're large, um, likes go to the shards because they, they're small and, and it's very relevant for uh, microtransactions. They are very important for us. They have to be more secured. So they go to layer one, but this is not something that, it, you know, if a glitch happens in a picture, I don't mind, but it's big and I don't want to pay a lot for it. So it goes to the sidechain. It's a very specialized type of data availability. So, so who's currently using Cartesi? Like, who's building on it? What are the current applications that you're seeing being built? We uh, released uh, the first version of the SDK a few months ago. Um, so, of course, anyone can go to our documentation portal. They can download software and, and start to build on it. Uh, at the beginning of the year, we we released, let's say, our first demo the app which was a tower defense game uh, and that was the, on, the only the app we had implemented so right now we are running a, a d app incubation program now that we finally have a have a product that people can use we we are we are running uh we are also running this in conjunction with uh, gitcoin and we are selecting three up to three um, good candidates to develop creative stuff using using Cartes. So we are right now at, at the moment that we are selecting these app, uh, from these applicants and, and seeing who we're gonna subsidize to to move forward. So we are, we are basically at the very beginning. Let's be optimistic can we here. Mention the, okay, go ahead. Go ahead, sorry. So can we mention the partnership we have now that we're developing sure. conjunction? Sure, we, we, are also, we also have a partnership with, with Medic that established uh, Early this year, uh, May around May, and uh, now we are, you know, developing a, a, a game together. So there, there, there is some cool stuff happening. So, so we expect to have some that our that our that our audience is listening to you, and they're like, I could do that. I could I could apply to that program and try and become something to be to build a a, a DAP on your ecosystem. What can you tell them? Like, what types of applications are you hoping get built or like in, in your mind based on your intuition of how the system works what's a very like optimized application for cartesi that won't work on other systems 
it would be very easy to, to imagine decentralized games. I think it's uh, we can imagine very different kinds of games being implemented with Cartesis. So it's it's the easiest case for us, right? So we actually have uh, two applications that are proposing to develop games on Cartesian now. Uh, DeFi is also a good good candidate. Uh, let's say if you want to use some advanced math library or do some complex computation, uh, more sophisticated DeFi, of course, it's also a good use case of Cartesian. We also have some, some uh, cool feature that we call the dehashing device that allows people to, to introspect into the state of the blockchain and extract data that would be impossible otherwise without the usage of oracles. So for instance, you can try to get the, uh, uh, the gas price, the average gas price over a period of time uh, without using oracles, using our dehashing device frame. So these kind of things could help DeFi. But we've also been surprised with, with uh, interesting projects, you know, proposing things along the lines of IoT. Uh, so it's quite cool. We are, actually, that's that's the, the thing that we that we really want to happen, right? To be surprised and, and people come with ideas that we had not imagined before. Right on. Definitely interested to see what, what kind of creativity people come up with, but it's I think it helps when you you give them a a push of the of the major advantages that you offer outside of like kind of other resources. Like let's say you tried to do this on Ethereum and this sucked, but oh, okay, Cartesi fixes this. Like what like what is that thing? Like it's like you said like it's off chain computation, but for adaptive or doesn't quite understand what that means. Like what part of their application are they optimizing by using Cartesi? So, for instance, we uh, let's let's take the example of the games that developed Crypts. It's a tower defense game. Uh, the 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 amount of the number of events that 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 uh, gamers they produce is very small, right? They put a, a tower here, they put a tower there, they they buy some weapon to put on a tower. So you can actually compact that that kind of uh, uh, this this log from the users and store on chain. Uh, and that's not going to be very expensive, expensive in terms of gas. Now, the, the the amount of computation that's involved in a in a tower defense game is just impossible to to run on chain, right? It comprises billions or even trillions of instructions for you to to play a game from beginning to end. You have to simulate mm -hmm. all the the creeps entering the maze and all things firing crazily, and we are doing that totally in a totally decentralized fashion. That would be impossible to do. On Ethereum, for instance, so that that's a good example. So that that we are able to do only using the card in its current state as a as a decentralized computational oracle. Of course, as we add rollups and we move into a stateful uh, Cartesi uh, VM and allow the, the the you know interactions to happen along the way, then you allow for different kinds of games like turn-based games. Uh, uh, RPGs and other things that you can imagine. Yeah. So just to give another example that I like. So with the current technology from Ethereum, actually from Ethereum since it's the beginning, you could try to create some sort of outsourcing of verifiable tasks, right? You could say, yeah, I have this task and I need someone to solve it for me, and I can deposit some money, and whoever solves the task will get the money automatically. No man in the middle necessary. 
for example, but the, the kind of tasks that you can outsource in pure solidity are very limiting. Like, for example, I could do something silly, like whoever managed to factor this big number for me will get some money. So I put the number there. And if you manage to write it as a product of two other numbers, you get the price. That's a, a task you could completely automate with no intermediary, no trust. So people can jump ahead and start trying to factor that big number because they know the price is there and they're going to win. But this is a very silly task, right? This is, I mean, of course, factoring numbers is important for cryptography, but it's not something people can actually do. So it's a silly task. Now, with Cartes, you can bring this to a level that's actually useful. So for example, I own a company and I, I need some uh, artificial intelligence, some neural network, whatever, that is able to uh, tell if a picture uh, has a, a address in it because clients are getting to the, the store and I want to know who's wearing a dress and who's not. And I want to take the snapshot, take through the AI and tell if it ha a person has a dress or not. So it's a very mundane question people actually need in the day-to-day -day lives of business. So you want to outsource this. Whoever is able to build an AI that recognizes people with dress, I will pay them. And I don't want a man in the middle. I want direct interaction with the developer. So you could create this task in a decentralized way. And of course, the thing is going to be complex and computational intensive. Uh, it's not straightforward because you have to, you know, <laughs> I have to explain how it goes. It has several steps, like first yeah. you send all the pictures <laughs> and encrypt the pictures. But all of this is done in Linux. So it's not, it's complex if you think about solidity. But if you think about Linux, you know, you have a sample of a thousand dresses or uh, pictures. Half of them you encrypt because this is your test data for later. The others you don't encrypt so people can see and train their, their machines. So it's it's possible to do something like this, for example. Take an automated outsourcing, an outsourcing that can be automatically verified and implement it in a decentralized fashion. Okay, that makes more sense, I think. Outside of like the kind of like how far it goes beyond games. Games tends to be like one, it's it's don't be wrong. I love games and I think they're a wonderful like test bed for innovation and economics and and doing blockchain stuff. But I'm always curious about like what other stuff can we do from a computational standpoint if you have a test bed as big as Linux to to play around with with this stuff. So could be interesting. What else uh what else is there? Is there something that I that you wish I would have asked you that I didn't? Mm. No, I think it's going super well. Uh, do you don't have any other questions for now? I could probably go on forever, but we're kind of running out of time. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I honestly don't have any any question uh, popping in my mind now. But so you can keep just asking. What's coming up on the on the roadmap? Like, what can you expect over the next three months? Right now, we are working on our. Um, proof of stake to take it to mainnet it was uh, on testnet so the proof of stake is because we're preparing for the side chain that we we're talking about before uh, so the 
the staking and lottery system itself is, is being uh, released earlier, but it's you know a milestone toward the, the, the side chain itself. So, so this mechanism is going to be available uh, on mainnet during Q4. So that's a, a big one. We are also working on something like Cartesi's Explorer, like this UI where people can see what's going on in the system, uh, where they can also stake uh anything that would expect an explorer right you, you if if you if you if uh, machines are you know cartesi is running disputes you want to see the state of these disputes and so on and so forth so this is something that we are also developing now and the other big thing in terms of the the core infrastructure is essentially rollups right we that's a, that's a very important feature that we are currently focusing you mentioned other than these yeah yeah, yeah sorry. go ahead sorry no 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 other than these there are, there are other projects like the one we we, we talked about uh with medic you know and so but these are mm -hmm. more it's not the core core development you mentioned storage as the side chain um why not use other decentralized storage options like ipfs swarm sia etc Yeah, the IPFS is is excellent, and we actually use it in the um, background, but it doesn't give you that data availability guarantee, right? I can send you an IPFS link that you check, and it's broken. Mm -hmm. So you you cannot tell. I, no, none of us can tell the blockchain who was cheating. Did I send you a broken link, or did you not even try? So this uh, uh, data availability guarantee is missing there. Um, for example, uh, if you take Filecoin, for example, it can give you uh, guarantees that people have the, the data. So this is very important for storage. If you want to, for example, have a kind of decentralized Dropbox for yourself, mm -hmm. it's very important that you know people are keeping your data in space time. But unhappily, they cannot prove the transfer. So if I tell you, uh, I'm sending you, you know, my neural network that you hired me to to do, I'm sending you through Filecoin. I can prove that, you know, I have it, the server has it, but I cannot prove to the blockchain that you received it. So the proof of transfer is missing. So this is why we actually need something more, um, like more similar, more closer to a blockchain. Something where the occurrence of some event on the block uh, proves that uh, the whole peer-to-peer -peer network had that data available, at least for that moment, for that brief moment. And you can increase the moment by requesting that thing to be present in the storage for longer. Like Ethereum, if something happens on a block on Ethereum, you know that it's available forever. We can get something in between. So this was available during this two days period. So you can't complain that you didn't access it. It was in the peer-to-peer -peer network for two days. So okay. it, it's something between, so to say, uh, IPFS, which has no limit in size, but there's no guarantees and 
first layer that has a very big limitation inside, but the guarantees are gigantic. Of essentially, things last forever. And for especially if you're optimizing for like kind of large chunk short-term storage, you need kind of data availability, but also like a, a, a lot of a lot of room. We want right. to be able to tune this. Well, uh, I think I'm, I'm good. Do you have anything you want to ask? No, I'm good too. I think I've asked everything I wanted to know. <laughs> well, great. How great. do people reach out? How do they, how do they get in touch? How do they learn more? Well, we have, a, a community, a few communities on, on telegram, uh, we have also a channel on on discord for for developers and people that want to learn more technically what's going on what's possible to build people we need to help or to build stuff on cartes so they should go to discord um of course we have uh, we are on, on on social media in general twitter uh, facebook and so on so it's very easy to get in contact with us and uh, we really encourage people to to come and and uh, ask questions and get involved all right great thanks guys thank you very thanks much it's been a pleasure good talk thanks. very nice